We start today with hearts and pillars and the things that are core. What beliefs are core to who you are? What pieces of you could you not live without? What things might you be able to live without? We start this way because many folks call this gospel passage that we have this morning the heart of Mark's gospel, the core of what Mark believes about Jesus, the things that Mark desperately wants you to know and to hear and to take away about this Jesus of Nazareth. There are other scholars who refer to this text and point to the, the four pillars of Mark, the pillars of his good news, of his gospel about Jesus, all four of his main points are present in this passage today. Jesus as cosmic, apocalyptic Messiah, Jesus as son of man, the importance and necessity of the cross, and finally the cost of discipleship, meaning what it costs us to follow Jesus. So no matter what, what we have here is core to Mark. And as the oldest gospel, I'm willing to go out on a limb and argue that it's also core to Jesus. Before anyone had time to theologize or to work on the myth and the legend about Jesus, Mark wrote this gospel. And even though it's short and the, pra and the prose are unadorned, it communicates the bare, brusque, blunt truth to us. And today, of these pillars of what is core to Mark and core to Jesus, we are going to look at the cost of discipleship. I have a colleague in Pennsylvania who every time you say that phrase to him will look at you with a smile and say, well, it costs more than a gym membership. Which is funny. But also, what Jesus and others are trying to signal here is that it costs rather a lot more than a gym membership. If we do it right, it costs us everything. In his, I think, very famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes quite a bit about this, as you might guess from the title of the book. He focuses quite a bit on what it costs us to be good disciples, about what the disciple opts into and chooses to take on if they follow Jesus. And one of the places he points out most clearly is when he draws this line between cheap grace and costly grace. Cheap grace is the kind that we bestow on ourselves, and probably it's the kind that the church bestows on us too from time to time. It's grace without repentance, is what Bonhoeffer would say. So there's room to move, room to be, room to sin without any particular cost. It's grace that is granted without any sincerity and without anything real behind it, without intention or thoughtfulness or repentance, without a true desire to follow and a desire to be changed. This grace is superficial. It doesn't bring with it real forgiveness or real reconciliation. It doesn't change lives or change relationships. Cheap grace is what we offer ourselves and each other when we don't want to be bothered, when we sort of let ourselves off the hook. We feel like we're being nice people, but we're not actually doing the work. Costly grace, on the other hand, is the grace of Jesus Christ. Grace that leads ultimately into abundant life, grace that heals us, grace that brings new life, grace that offers kindness and peace and compassion, and grace ultimately that is created and beckoned forth by love. 
And it comes, as you might expect, at a bit of a cost. The cost is commitment and sacrifice. Commitment to the teachings of Jesus, commitment to following him, commitment to living a life of love and compassion and mercy. And Bonhoeffer expects that sacrifice then is a natural part of this commitment, this living in this way. For Bonhoeffer, there is no discipleship without sacrifice. Hear that again, no discipleship without sacrifice. There is no faith without sacrifice, and there certainly is no love without sacrifice. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me say to you, you are not the beloved, and thank God for that. The sacrifice asked of you will not be the sacrifice asked of him. But if you expect to live and be like him, then you should expect that sometimes it will go for you about as well as it went for him. Because the world doesn't particularly like people who love justice and kindness and mercy. People who insist on equality, people who want to hear and tell and be part of the truth, people who aren't willing to drink the Kool-Aid people who don't want to be part of structures of power and wealth and privilege. The world doesn't like people who upset the apple cart, who are brave enough and strong enough to use what they have to dismantle systems of oppression, to sit at the table with the outcasts, who refuse to fall in line. Now, I want to be clear here, this isn't sacrifice in Bonhoeffer's world just for the sake of sacrifice. It isn't suffering for the sake of suffering. It isn't the thorn in the side that Paul is talking about. It isn't just the sort of random suffering that we all experience as part of being alive. The sacrifice and suffering that Bonhoeffer is talking about is for Jesus, in order to follow him, in order to move his work forward, in order to introduce him to new people, in order to change the world and make it better, in order to build this kingdom that he keeps proclaiming. In many fewer words, Jesus says the same thing in this passage from Mark today. Bonhoeffer expands on it, helps us to understand it better, but Jesus very succinctly lays it all out for us. At first, Jesus is having this sort of exchange with Peter. And I think in the beginning, he's responding to Peter, who, by the way, wants to save his own neck. He is trying to shut Jesus up. He is trying to keep Jesus from getting himself out in trouble. He is trying to stay alive. And probably also maintain some status and wealth and privilege and popularity. And so this first part is a response, no doubt, to Peter. But then it becomes quite a bit broader rather quickly. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Meaning, hey, Peter, stop trying to posture and save yourself. You're showing us all that you've missed the point. And also, hey, everyone else, if you want to be one of my disciples, if you want to be part of this movement, if you want to be a a citizen in this kingdom that I am proclaiming, of this new world order that I am building, then you will have to take up your cross too. Don't worry so much about saving yourself. 
Don't try to talk me out of it, but be willing to sacrifice for the sake of love. And remember, when Jesus says this to them, he hasn't yet taken up his cross. So there's plenty of folks who suggest that this is foreshadowing, right? Because he begins the passage by telling the disciples very plainly what is about to happen to him at the end of Lent as we move into Holy Week. So there is a clue here, but it's important for us to remember that they they don't know. The crowd doesn't know, and, and certainly the disciples continue to miss the point. They don't have a vision yet of him being crucified. We do hearing this lesson this morning, they don't. So their reference in this moment when he says this isn't what ours is. Our reference is, oh, he's saying that we have to be like him and take up our cross and, and okay, sure. But their reference for this moment would have actually been the very run-of-the-mill, everyday violence that they experienced as part of the Roman Empire their immediately sort of occurring vision wouldn't have been of Jesus on the cross. It would have been of the common criminal or the deviant or the subversive or the rebellious person or the the criminal, someone else who was being killed by the Roman Empire. Now, we know that crucifixion was one of the most popular ways for the empire to do that. And it focused especially on people who committed treason or sedition or political crimes, which Jesus falls very easily into that category. Those who might lead a rebellion against Rome, all the way down to the guy who stole bread to feed his children. So it's, a, it's sort of a catch-all. This would have conjured up images of an embarrassing and shameful punishment. And it was an important part of this punishment that the criminal would carry their cross. And, and probably it was just the, the top part, the plank, you know, the, the crossbar. It was an important part of this punishment that they would be forced very publicly to carry this to where they were going to be crucified because it embarrassed them, because it was shameful. And by the way, because it embarrassed their families. Jesus would not be the only one who encounters family and loved ones on the road as he's doing this. There would have been plenty of other families who gathered there in those streets to say goodbye to folks who were about to die. So in Lent, we contend with some of the hardest texts, and this is one of them, and it's core to Mark. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, then you have to be prepared to do this for me, to be shamed, to be embarrassed, to be marked as an outcast because of your love for all of these other people. You have to be willing to be subversive and to choose my kingdom and this order over the kingdoms of the earth and the trappings that they offer. Jesus is warning the disciples and the crowds and anyone who might think that they like what he's saying, anyone who might think that they're interested in this movement, he is warning them and us that there is a definite cost to following him, a cost to choosing love in big and small ways every day. Now, those of us who have tried to live this way, we know that it's not easy. Some days it is. And that's lovely. But a lot of days, it's not easy at the market. It's not easy in the car. It's not easy at home with spouses and children or parents and in-laws. It's not easy to choose love over anger all the time. 
It's not easy to forgive and seek reconciliation and go after that costly grace instead of just pushing things away and covering it over and letting ourselves and other people off the hook. It's not easy to give away the things that we've earned and bent and scraped and fought for. It's not easy to hold our tongues and be silent when what we really want is vindication and retribution. It is not easy to speak up when we know that the people around us don't want to hear the inconvenient, uncomfortable truth. It is not easy to live like Jesus or to learn how to love like him, to learn to flip the tables of injustice and oppression, to feed as many people as we can, to heal ourselves and each other, to offer hope and to give so much away. It is not easy to turn the other cheek over and over and over again, especially when it means that we are letting someone hurt us or slight us without seeking vengeance or without even defending ourselves. To trust that God knows who we are and what we did and that God knows the truth and that God has got us. And to trust, and here's the key, that this isn't it. So we don't need to live or die by what happens here unless it is about love. The rest of it doesn't matter because this isn't the world, this isn't the kingdom, this isn't the place where we belong. This isn't our team, this isn't what makes us who we are. We belong to someone else. Our citizenship is in a different kingdom, not even a different country a different kingdom. And it is not easy to live that way day in and day out, and none of us gets it right all the time, and I mean none of us. If it was really easy, Jesus wouldn't tell us that we had to take up a cross. He wouldn't warn us that the road ahead might be difficult, that it might harm us, that it might hurt us, that we might have to make sacrifices, that we would have to give so much away. Those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. This is a line that has been read and interpreted a million different ways in the last 2,000 years. But for our purposes this morning, there are two parts. You will live and find eternal life and the abundant life that Jesus promises if you are paying attention to him and to the gospel or good news, right? The Greek word gospel translates directly to good news. So those are sort of interchangeable words and phrases here. Gospel, good news. So two things, Jesus and the gospel. So what does that mean for us? Lest you think that this is just about you and Jesus and a spiritual awakening and a religious journey just for you. He adds in this second part, I think, to remind us, to obligate us to share the good news. And he does that because he is worried about community. He is wanting us to make sacrifices and to do the work of sharing and living the good news, not alone, but with other people. Because you can't share the good news alone. There's no one else to talk to if you're alone. It is fundamentally a relational thing. You have to do it with other people. We aren't meant to just hear the good news 
and then go live our lives and hide somewhere behind all that we have and all that we think that we are. The good news is relational. Losing your life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel is not a solitary activity. And being a Christian is not a solitary activity. If the good news is real in your life and in your heart, if it is core to who you are, if it is the pillar of your being, then you will feel compelled to take up your cross. You will feel compelled to risk all the things that Jesus warns us about. You will feel compelled to find others who find this strange compulsion for love irresistible. You will feel compelled to find connection and community and justice and worship and peace. We cannot do this work by ourselves. We cannot be faithful by ourselves. We need community and connection and accountability and friendship and compassion. And we need to give and receive grace to learn how to do that together, to practice it together, which, by the way, inherently means that we have to be vulnerable and that we are going to make mistakes. Jesus is calling us to that in the second half of this sentence. He is calling us to community, to do the hard work of repentance and reconciliation, to fix the things we've broken where we can, and to love whoever and whenever we can. So on this second Sunday in Lent, I pray that you hear Jesus call you to community, to connection, to growing with other people, to sharing the good news. Hear Jesus and Mark and see if what they have to say is core to you. Is it part of what makes you who you are? Hear Bonhoeffer ask you what price you are willing to pay. And look around your life this week. Where is the cross that you are meant to carry? Where is the risk that you are meant to take? Where is the love that you are meant to give away.